Losing makes you push harder, helps you improve because you know where your weaknesses are, uh, especially going against people that are not of your school. Because when you compete against people just in your school, um, you already subconsciously know each other's strengths and weaknesses, and you don't notice anything new because their strength might not exploit your weakness. Mm -hmm. right? But then you run into some other guy you've never seen, and his strength is your weakness. And you're like, ah, I got a hole. Or the student you're competing against in, at, the, at your own school, his best defense is your best attack. And you really don't notice you have a great attack because they always defend it. Then you get to a tournament and you find out, wait, this attack never works, but it's working great. Master Wesley Lee is a head instructor of Vail Taekwondo in Tucson, Arizona. He began his training 19 years ago and has competed prolifically over that time. He is currently a fifth degree black belt. Now I hear you've hosted a lot of tournaments. It seems like that was a big part of your kind of upbringing in the martial arts. I think that's a very important uh, component of training. Um, what kind of uh, got you started running tournaments out there in Tucson and what has your experience been running those tournaments? Um, so back in my tournament history started in the, the association I was with, which was Haysan. And then I, they didn't do enough a year. I love tournaments. They'd only do one or two a year. Mm. Started going to open tournaments and open tournaments are a wide range of baskets. <laughs> Some are great. Some are not so good, <laughs> but you get what you get, right? Uh, so I actually had to get uh, permission from our grandmaster um, to go to tournaments. I had to, had to get permission because they, they only liked you to compete just in Haysan. Mm. But then I started doing tournaments anyways. Well, so I got, I had a lot of experience, experience in tournaments. I, my first black belt tournament, I had just gotten recommended black belt. Mm. And I was like, all right, Master Payne, I'm ready to compete at black belt. And he's like, mm. No, I think you should still fight in the uh, the red belt, recommended black belt area. Just give yourself some more time. But no, sir, I'm ready. Okay. All right. Last place in patterns and in sparring, I think I scored one point. Um, and uh, the second guy, uh, the guy I fought that I got the one point on ends up that me and him end up having a lot of matches over the next 10 years together. And I went from only scoring one point to the, our last match. Uh, we I lost by only like one point, and it was like seventeen to sixteen. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. And I even broke my finger during the match. Just didn't and hid the broken finger, uh, so they didn't see it. the tip of this finger. I don't know if you can see a little nub right there. Mm -hmm. The finger was actually dangling, so I just closed my hand, didn't let anybody see it. Um. So, <laughs> and uh, so I was getting better. And uh, every tournament I would go to compete, um, the, after that tournament I lost, got, I mean, shut out at black belt level. I mean, there was 16 black belts in the division, last place in patterns, didn't do well in sparring. Um, I was like, man, I need to train harder. So it made me train harder, made me lose weight, made me get in better shape. Next tournament, I got third place in patterns. Mm -hmm. Sparring yet, but then got third in breaking. 
Um, so I, I, I got there, got overconfident. Next time, nothing. Train some more, back up into that first to third spot. So at that point, I started going, you know, a tournament, either I would place or I wouldn't. You know, I had about a 50-50 shot. Uh, so was that above average? I guess so, since the divisions are 16 to 20 people usually. Um, and then I started doing all the open tournaments, actually got um, the best I ever did at a tournament, got first in patterns, sparring, and weapons at the Amy, Amy Lada's national tournament. So I guess I'm a national champion, but it's, they just call it their national tournament, right? It's an open tournament. So how, can you really call it a national tournament champion? Whatever. They, they just sit up on a shelf back away. Anyways, so I move out here to Arizona, set up my school, and I'm like, all right, going to have uh, a tournament for my students because it drove me so much. It made me improve so much. Let me start looking at tournaments. Crickets. Mm. Now, there are some maybe up in Phoenix, like two hours away, but those are all like, all right, you have to be part of ITF union or you have to be WT or you have to be this certain karate branch. They weren't allowing anybody else to school. I'm like, well, that's a bummer. And then the Taekwondo school that I was with here uh, that I was training with, which was the same association at the time, which I'm part of the Jin Tong Taekwondo Federation, they didn't really do tournaments. Their instructor was like, tournaments aren't that important. We do them maybe once or twice a year. Mm. Okay, um, I got to do something for my students. Uh, so I was like, well, I'll run tournaments. So I started off small. Well, what I considered small, um, I, I considered my first tournament tiny. It was only 60 people. Back in Georgia, I'm used to tournaments with hundreds and hundreds. Mm -hmm. Like 100 competitors was a normal tournament. Yeah. And um, these were like, they were like, oh, that was a good size tournament. I was like, <laughs> it was tiny. And um, so I started getting that school to start to compete. And then another Taekwondo school to start competing. And I was like, I need more students, so I uh, more competitors. So I started getting a hold of the local Tang Sudo schools, and they started to compete. I actually got a hold of a Kyokushin school in town, mm. and they started to compete. But people weren't really uh, all that keen on fighting the Kyokushin fighters because they fight pretty hard. Um, but I had no problem with that. I would actually go over and train with them, and they would sometimes tell me to stop kicking so hard. Yes, <laughs> Uh, and I was like, okay, yeah, sure, she got. I'll, 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 I'll tone down a little bit because we're practicing, right, right. And I missed that hard style fighting because I used to do that back with my instructor. We'd, we'd fight hard. Um, just don't knock each other out. If you hurt each other's body a little bit, fine. Right, iron sharpens iron. Um, so we started slowly over years building up a tournament community here. Uh, so we actually ended up building a uh, organization called Kamada. Uh, Korean Martial Arts Tournament Association because I finally got all the Tang Sudo and Taekwondo schools to buy into it, but they didn't have too much other stuff. So I was like, all right, can we do it just Korean? We'd be happy with that. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, we can do that. So now I have about eight schools here in Tucson that are uh, that are it, they're involved in it. Right before COVID hit. Oh man, yeah. So we were going to do these leagues where we're going to have uh, like a two-month window. We would have about four tournaments or five tournaments like every other week, mm. every other week. And then we'd have points. And then in the end, you'd find out who was the best sparer for that season, who was the best patterns guy for that season. Ooh, yes, we had these leagues. So it was sort of like a soccer season or a football season. So we would have a martial arts season and COVID hit. 
knocked us completely out. Oh, sir. Back up in July. So since July, we've had three tournaments. And we did one in my school, one, oh, no, four tournaments, my bad. I had one in my school, uh, just with one other school, just to get the knock the rust off. It was only like 40 people, not a big deal. Then I opened it up for a little bit bigger. And um, uh, that one was pretty good. We had 80 students. The local Tang Sudo did an inner school one. And then we had the Tang Sudo school did their national tournament. They were on hook to do their nationals. Um, it was postponed for two years. Mm. And that one had about 130 student competitors. But unfortunately, while training for it, so I could compete because they're going to have a master's division, uh, the other master from the other school broke two bones in my foot. So I, let me put it, we broke, we both broke my, my toes, right? Because it's not just him. I kicked, he blocked, good block. My toes weren't positioned right, I guess, broke two of them. Um, so I unfortunately didn't get to compete, but what was really good is I got hooked up with uh, Grandmaster uh, Shitaka and Grandmaster Khalid out of Phoenix, and they're really interested in this tournament league idea. Mm, yes, sir. Grandmaster Shitaka is out of Washington State, but Khalid is in Phoenix, and he has school, which is two hours away, and he has schools in Sierra Vista, which is one and a half hours away, so they're going to possibly come on board with this Kamada idea, and then we'll have schools come in to Tucson, and then we'll have let them host one or two as well, and we'll travel to their schools. One of the uh, weird things about it, which um, Grandmaster Shintaka, hopefully I'm not butchering his name too bad, um, was impressed with, and he really likes the idea, is there's, I follow the three Fs of, of martial arts, fair, fun, and fast. If it's not those three things, it's a horrible tournament because I've been in tournaments that don't have any of those and they're, they're horrible. But then it's not about profit at all. The pricing is going to be as low as possible just so the tournament succeeds. And then any profit is split amongst all the schools that had competitors and judges. Mm, that's cool. The hosting school gets 10% off the top or 20%. It all depends on the split you decide. So because they had to get the facilities, do all the paperwork, so they get a cut. And then 60% is based on the competitors. So let's say the pool is $500 and there was 500 competitors, then if your school had 50 competitors, you get 50 bucks, mm -hmm. right? you, get, you get a percentage cut. And then the next 20, 30% is by judges. So if you brought in all the judges, you get that pool of money. So schools now have an incentive to send their students and instructors to judge and they didn't have to do anything. Mm. Oh, yes, sir. It's starting to get people excited about it. Starting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can, I can tell your passion for competition is just coming through loud and clear. Um, what are the rules for your, uh, is it Kamada you said? Yeah, Kamada. K-A-T-A, yeah. What are the rules of competition? Um, well, for the patterns competition, it's just, you know, hey, uh, do your pattern forms, kata, whatever you want to call them. And it's judged on uh, stances, technique, uh, attitude, and power. Because really, you know, even if you don't know someone's patterns or, or their techniques, you can see once you're trained and you've done it long enough, if someone's doing something correctly. Mm -hmm. One block is here, the next block is here, the next block is here. Yeah, their technique's not as good. Mm -hmm. Stances are you know, all the same size, Good stance. If they vary, mm, 
maybe your stance isn't so good, right? Um, power, well, you can see, you can see in here power, right? Are they, are they breathing? Uh, do there, is there any snap their techniques? If they have key ups or key eyes in their patterns, do they yell strong or do they go, yeah, yeah. Like that traditional like open tournament rule set, like where back in the day, that's how like most of the tournaments were just yeah. like, all sorts of forms from all over the place. I had like Kung Fu guys come in and didn't matter. Right. And then the, I always consider the first, the most important one is your attitude and presence. Mm -hmm. That's the one that sets the judge's mindset subconsciously. You have a, com a, person, a competitor come up, introduce themselves, and they're like, my name is Johnny and I'm going to do some stuff. You know, you're like, oh, poor kid. You know, I hope that can give him some points. Right. Or you got a guy coming up and they're real confident. My name is Johnny Lawrence, you know, and it's oh, yeah, it's going to be great. Right. And you're looking forward to the show and it's like, man, this is going to be like a movie. Yay. So subconsciously that introduction set, gives you an edge. Yeah. Right. I and mean, you've, if you've gone to tournaments, you've seen it. Those people that are super confident they score super high. And you look at the person that wasn't as confident, but their technique was very similar you're like, but the other guy got so much more points. Presence, yeah, for sure. Consciously, you've affected the judges. Mm -hmm. So what about the sparring rules? Uh, sparring rules are uh, very sports karate-esque. Uh, uh, light to medium contact to the body. Uh, any, uh, all kicks are legal to the body. Uh, straight punches only to the body. Um, and no other hand techniques to the body. No back fists to the body. No knife hands to the body. No open hand techniques at all, except uh, you probably guys call it ridge hand, um, and that's only to the head. Um, so to the body, it's just any kick and punch, except punches have to be straight, and have to travel distance, right? So if I'm standing right in front of you and I'm going, that's not going to count. Yeah. To travel some distance, mm. right? It has to be a, a punch that would look like it's effective, um, and uh, no more than uh, medium contact, um, light to medium, because we're not, we're not doing full contact. If you want to do full contact, I know the Kyokushin schools. I've had students go to their tournaments and do, do okay. Um, and uh, you want to do full contact, I'll set you up. But this is more for, more for fun. Yeah. Yes, sir. Head contact, uh, light contact only, and it's till black belt, only the sides and top our legal target area is nothing to the face mask area. And that's all kicks and back fist to the head for color belts. Once they get to advanced level color belt, uh, they're allowed uh, the reverse knife hand or ridge hand to the side of the head. Uh, and once you become black belt, the face mask area is open. And, but it's still only light contact. Also optional in our rules uh, for the tournament coordinator can make sure they mandate this ahead of time. And everybody knows we do initiate a halo rule uh, so that if you have for white belts, it's a big halo. <laughs> Rank comes in, it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Uh, so that if someone throws a kick and it zips past the head and the person just stands there, doesn't move, we're going to give them the point, right? But if they try to evade or they raise their hand, it's not going to count. That way we don't have kids taking each other's heads off. Mm. Right? But if there's a good control and you throw that uh, turning kick, roundhouse kick up to the head and then pull it away without even touching, that shows amazing control. You should deserve that. Yeah. If the person doesn't try to, now if they evade while you're doing it, it doesn't count. But if they just stand there like this and 
That's a point. Yeah. We're just talking about it's a it's a game of tag. Um, that if you wanted to, you just had to turn your hips a little more and know it's no longer a game of tag. Now it's a game of uh, someone get the smelling salts to wake him up. <laughs> yes, sir. Right. So, uh, and we what we did is we took all the different schools in the area and talked with their master instructors and stuff and said, all right, let's make this rule set. What do you like in this rule set? What do you not like in their rule set? And some people were like, um, I don't like that one thing. And then we're like, okay, everybody, are we okay getting rid of that? Okay, we're gonna get rid of groin shots. Everybody agreed, no groin shots, we're not Kempo. So <laughs> threw that out, all right? And there's like, all right, um, strikes to the face mask area. Some said, yeah, yeah, okay, that's fine. And I was like, mm, only if they had a face shield. Then I was like, well, how about if we only did it at black belt? And so we voted and we're like, okay, black belt only allows the face mask area. Still light to medium, light contact to the head. Uh, and so we actually sat down and went over months of just debating rules so that these different schools can all agree on a rule set. So does it get watered down? Mm. You can call it watered down, but it allows us to have more fish in the pond. Yes, sir. Yeah, no, it's awesome. It's great. And what kind of sparring gear are we using? Uh, a foam dip. Only thing that is required is head, hands, foot, mouthpiece, cup. That's it. Uh, you can wear a chest protector if you want. Yeah. Required. What's sort of funny is one of the local schools, when I first started doing tournaments, they always wore chest protectors. Mm -hmm. Just didn't wear chest protectors because I never liked them. You're not hitting that hard, light, medium contact. Mm -hmm. You know, if you, if you can take it, you can take it. If you can't, wear a chest protector. Well, my students had the advantage because they didn't have that bulky chest protector and was beating their students. Mm -hmm. so he made it optional for his students. And I used to see all his students have chest protectors. Then it went down to about half. And recently, only like one or two have. Yeah. Because it's like, it's advantageous to be more mobile when you're doing especially light to medium contact. As long as the judges are calling that warning, for hard contact you're still safe well yeah 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 one of the reasons why they implemented chest protectors when they went from point sparring to free sparring it was hard to see all the points of the body so the chest protector kept the uniform out of the way and made a sound when you hit it so it was actually right. easier to see the points and so yeah wearing chest protector is definitely a major disadvantage um <clears throat> it makes you a bigger target it, yeah yeah it sometimes it impedes your kicks. <laughs> um, well, that's great. So how do your students like, I mean, they must really like tournament competition. Oh, they love it. And as a matter of fact, this is sparring week this week. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be there. Uh, but I got my instructors are covering class and I'm pulling in another master instructor from another school to come and um, teach, help with them. My students love it. Um, I got some uh, black belt girls who started with me six and a half years ago. And at first they were timid and they, um, I mean, they're like this big around, they're like super tiny people and they now love it. They just destroy people. Uh, <laughs> one of my, uh, the one, she's 17 now and she ended up winning grand champions at the last national tournament, the Tuxedo national tournament, beat all their black belt women and she's just 17. Mm. And she just loves it. And I have to tone, have her tone back her power. She's like 5'11", maybe 110. Yeah. 
legs, she just can crank out some power. And so that's her one downside. She sometimes hits too hard <laughs> and she's tiny. Mm. But yeah, my students love tournaments. They, they look forward to it. Uh, not all of them compete. I try to, I don't mandate tournaments. It's not part of a requirement. It's not part of a testing requirement because I know some schools require it. Uh, I just highly suggest it and highly push it. Like it's the best thing you can do. And it's not about winning. It's not about losing. It's about trying. It's about that warrior spirit, the indomitable spirit, the going out there and applying the stuff that we've been learning in, in a competition. That's like practicing basketball, but never doing a game. Yeah. You practice six months on a football team, but you never make a touchdown. You never try. You never know how good you are. Because there are those people that are dojo killers, right? Those dojo killers that are amazing in the dojo. Mm. And, um, they get the competition and they fall apart. They don't score. Then there's those super timid people that get destroyed in the dojang and they get first place in the tournament. I actually had one of my students do that. Mm. Sparring in class, he'll get hit and he'll start crying and fall down. <laughs> and so we always just go, okay, come on, come on, you can get up, you can do it. You do it a little bit more, and he'll fall down. Two tournaments ago, he got first in uh, sparring and he had to fight four different people. Got mad. <laughs> we don't know what happened. I mean, he, he was, he'd get hit and it was nothing. And he kept fighting. We're like, who is this kid? Who is it? We don't know this child. Yeah. Before that, he'd like almost never won a match. And he beat four kids in a row. Wow. That's awesome. Well, that's there's a testament to the change that you can have in, in children's lives. And I think um, that's a, that's impressive. A lot of schools they struggle with tournament competition. You know, it's kind of like a double-edged sword. You send a kid to a tournament and half the time he wants to quit and half the time he's super jazzed and wants to continue. So how do you navigate that? It sounds like you have an entire week dedicated to sparring. It sounds like you do a lot of sparring. Um, what have been the pitfalls of trying to do more sparring, trying to push the students to have more rigor and go out and challenge themselves to competition? How have you solved that? Um, so some of the things I do is I make sure I talk to the parents, emails, and the students, everything. Let them know that competition is not, you're not guaranteed to win. There's, there's a good chance you will lose. Um, but it's not about winning and losing. I try to push that so much. I, I try to push it. You're going to lose. I don't care who you are. You will run into somebody that will beat you. And you may be that one person that beats that unbeatable guy on your best day. Mm -hmm. and I try to set up the expectations that sometimes we'll, you'll get a bad call. I'll actually, in our sparring weeks, we do a sparring week once a month. We dedicate one week a month to sparring where when our judges, our, our black belt instructors, we'll deliberately call a bad point, a really bad call. Mm -hmm. um, bad calls happen. Yeah. Right? Because it's going to happen. It's like the kid doesn't even come close and they're like, point! And you're like, <laughs> we condition we let the kids know that it can happen and i explained to the uh to the parents all right i set up a scenario where it's lined up in a certain way that it looks like a clear point right but it was actually the other guy tapping his own chest when he kicked but he doesn't actually kick me he just does that when he kicks He's like, you heard the point right let's do this from the other side then we show him the kick again and they're like oh that wasn't a point so I show the parents that perspective matters. So from 
angle from where you're at or how close you are, you might see a point, but the judges might see something different. Then I also say judges are humans. We make mistakes. That's why we have at least two other, we have three judges, the center and two corner. Hopefully we have four corner judges, but depending on how many volunteers we have, we can do a minimum of two. We make mistakes. We're not perfect. In the end, it'll hopefully all balance out. We try to leave our bias at the door. We try to just see the kicks as what they are. We don't try to look at uniforms. We're human. We make mistakes. We're going to try to err on the side of caution. But remember that you don't have the same level of training as the judges or you're not as close to the ring as the judges. Uh, Well-qualified judges will see things you don't see, especially, you know, fast hand techniques like, did I hit? Did not? <laughs> kind of thing. So I try to manage the expectations by letting them know uh, we do it as fair as possible. What There's a good chance you'll win. There's a good chance you won't win. It's about trying, not about winning. Yeah. Judging is very challenging. I think people don't realize that because, you know, you might see one point because you're at the right angle to see that point, but that doesn't necessarily, it's the right angle for the judge to see it. I, uh, right. one time we went to tournament a little while back and I was judging for two of my own students and I called the wrong point. I couldn't see, I, could, I just got the wrong angle. It looked like it was a hit, but it wasn't. And my one student was angry at me because it, it, it wasn't it wasn't a hit and he knew it because it was his body and I'm like guys this shows you that the judges are not like corrupt it's because it's very hard to see what's going on I mean I've been judging for 20 30 years and I still get it wrong all the time you know so stuff. mistakes happen yeah I, and um one of the things that just some reason popped in my head uh, about judging is sometimes you need to slow down when you attack uh, at one tournament, I was a red belt. I almost got disqualified on this one. I was throwing reverse punches to the body, but was not yelling, wasn't key-epping or anything, which those always help when you're um, doing I always tell them, if you punch, key-ep, because judges can't see hands sometimes. And I was throwing these punches in there fast and hard, and I was uh, getting the point. No one was calling it. I got frustrated, and I hit the guy hard, knocked him out of the ring, up onto the trophy table. They were right at the edge of the ring and like scattered trophies all over the place. And I got yelled at. And I was like, well, you guys weren't calling the points. I didn't get a point. <laughs> then my instructor, uh, Grandmaster Payne, afterwards said, well, what you need to do is you need to key up because unfortunately your hand speed is too quick. Mm. And we've seen that. You've seen guys with really good hand speed. They get that punch in and out. Yeah. And it's like, did that score? Mm. And taught me to get it in fast, pause, yell, and then get it back out fast, right? Get back your defense as soon as possible. So I learned a lot of little tricks. Yeah. Tell the judges I scored. So. Definitely. Um, well, it's been a pleasure having you on, sir. I don't want to take too much of your time. Um, are there any final thoughts on competition that um, you have to add to our conversation? Jesse, anything you want to ask, Master? Um, Lee? Yes, sir. So thank you for sharing all these stories. I love joining these conversations and just kind of listening and absorbing uh, in the background. I have a question about the sort of demographics of competition at your school. So do you feel like there is an age range 
um, and this, you know, it may not be true, but do you feel like there is an age range where they feel more compelled to get in? Uh, you know, at our school, we have our little warriors and then we've got like our kids program and then our all ages and then our adults. And I'm curious about where you see that drive most or do you feel like it's kind of all across the board or it really just is hard to pin down? Um, that's a good question. My no, majority of our competitors are usually between the ages of, I would say, eight to 12. Okay. But uh, that doesn't mean I don't have the five and six year olds um, that are competing and are just energetic. Um, but majority of them are around that eight to 12 range. Maybe that's five our rule set because that's where a majority of our competitors are. But in our last tournament, the national tournament, I had, it sounds crazy, six of my adult women white belts competing. Okay, yes sir. So they were they from the ages 16 to 69. Mm. Uh, we, we had this the largest group of adult women competitor white belts I've ever seen in any tournament. Mm. All gung-ho. They were just fun. At it. They just loved it. Sure. That's great. Um, so it really it comes down to the person because you get that spark at different different people at different times. Um, the like the the kid we spoke about earlier that would cry as soon as you touched him. Yeah. He's seven now, and um, so before in five and six he was having a hard time with everything. So maybe at seven it's starting to flip that switch that you know maybe it's okay to get hit. Yeah. So do you think that you're, um, you sound like you started out in wrestling. That's a pretty competitive sport. I did wrestling in high school as well for a little bit. Do you think that kind of competitive spirit that you learned in wrestling kind of transferred over to your Taekwondo and the way that you approach that? Probably. Um, I think really it's my um, dislike of losing. Uh, <laughs> not that I don't, no, not, that, not that I want to win and that's all that matters. Yeah. I just don't like losing. Does that make, I don't know if that really makes sense. You're competitive. That's a yeah, I, hallmark yeah. person that's competitive. And it's not about the other person. It's about me. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, whoa, what was I doing wrong? How can I improve myself so that doesn't happen to me again? Uh, like I said earlier, there was that guy who I fought the first time black belt. And one of my last matches was against him uh, in, back at the East Coast. Um, and it was just so fun, that match. That was when I broke my finger in. The whole gym was just exploding, cheering our names. I mean, there was maybe six, 700 people. No, more like 800 people in the gym, and they're, like, doing the stomp on their feet, you know, hearing the chat, Mr. Lee, Mr. Lee. And this, it was a two-minute match. Then off the time, anytime a point was called, the match ran 12 minutes. <laughs> wow. Wow. Because we were both very aggressive fighters. Um, we were coming at each other, cracking each other hard. And they threw out the whole light, medium contact rule because they know both, both of us could take it. And it, it, was, it, was, it was so fun. I mean, I enjoyed it so much. Yeah, I broke my finger. Whoopee. Um, afterwards, he saw my finger. He's like, damn, you're tough. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. One last question I wanted to ask you before we let you go is um, what are some of the benefits of tournament competition? Why do you feel so strongly that this is something that people should be partaking in? 
A couple benefits. One, it, uh, at least for me, and I've seen it for my other students, is uh, losing makes you push harder, helps you improve because you know where your weaknesses are, uh, especially going against people that are not of your school. Because when you compete against people just in your school, um, you already subconsciously know each other's strengths and weaknesses. And you don't notice anything new because their strength might not exploit your weakness. Mm -hmm. right? But then you run into some other guy you've never seen and his strength is your weakness. And you're like, ah, I got a hole. Or the student you're competing against in, at, the, at your own school, his best defense is your best attack. And you really don't notice you have a great attack because he's always defended. Then you get to a tournament and you find out, wait, this attack never works, but it's working great. <laughs> you actually find you have this strength you didn't know you had because you were going against a guy or a girl who's been training with you against your strength and made a great defense. Mm. Right? Uh, iron sharpens iron. Uh, you got to trust yourself. You got to throw yourself in the deep water and find out if you can swim. Got to get out of the kiddie pool. Got to get in the water. And then you'll really find out what you're made of. And then it helps you uh, overcome fear. I've been in tournaments where, yeah, I'll fight guys and I'm looking at people and I'm like, he's six foot six. Wow. I'm in the heavyweight category, I always fought the guys that were five, six inches taller than me. Um, and it was terrifying sometimes. I I'll admit it. I was scared until the first or second hit. Crack. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. It was almost like the Incredible Hall thing. I'd be like a little nervous. I'd get hit once or twice. Game on. Yeah. Right? Uh, so you got to overcome that fear because if you're ever in a self-defense situation, fear is your worst enemy. Absolutely. Tournaments help you overcome fear in a safe environment because everybody there is there for your safety. Center judge is there for your safety. That's his whole job. Corner referees, they want you to be safe. 99% of the time, your competitor doesn't want to hurt you. They want you safe, too. So it's a very safe environment to test your um, metal and to learn what it feels like to be attacked and to be and to compete. Even in patterns competition, that is, can be terrifying and nerve-wracking. It's overcoming that fear. Act under pressure. Mm -hmm. It will help you overcome not just at tournaments, not just in self-defense real life, but your whole life, you're going to have, especially for kids, they got tests they got to take at school. It can be terrifying. Take a deep breath, move on, do your best. Eventually, you're going to go out and get a job, job interviews, terrifying. Take a deep breath, put your best foot forward, do the best you can. If you fail, all right, that's your loss in one tournament. Next interview, try again. Do better. Your next job, do better, learn more, get a better education. Everything you learn in Taekwondo and tournaments prepares you for life, in my opinion. That's awesome. I totally agree. And that's very good wisdom to impart to the students. Um, well, it's been a true honor having you on, Master Lee. I wish you the best of luck with your school and your tournaments. And uh, maybe we'll have to bring some students out sometime and, and see what you guys got. Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. Uh, yeah, email me later. I'll find out exactly where you guys are. <laughs> Yes, sir. It'll be a bit of a drive. We're here, we're here in Texas, but um, oh, okay. We'll stay in touch and yeah. Well, one of my goals is I was going to start in Tucson. I'm going to expand out 
to the Phoenix area, about you know two hour drive. Then I'm gonna expand out further, then expand out further, and um, see where it goes from there. If you enjoyed that podcast, please consider liking and subscribing to our YouTube channel, as well as hitting the notification bell. We offer in-person, group, and private lessons at our facility in Kyle, Texas, as well as virtual lessons anywhere in the world. If you'd like to learn more about our programs, you can find us online at risingphoenixtkd.com.